Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. I am really glad you're here today. Thank you for joining us. I am really excited for this episode. Super lucky to have Amy Lang join me, and we are going to dive into part of a big conversation about protecting kids from sexual content online and having hard conversations. So Amy's been a sexual health educator for over 25 years. And then when it came time, as so often where we, we, those of us who do this work say, when we, when we had to do the work and walk the walk with our, our own children. So she imagined talking to her young son about his body and she just knew that she needed some guidance and help and did a bunch of research about how to talk to kids and sexuality and realized there's such a need for it for parents. So thank you so much, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you about one of the worst slash one of my best slash worst conversation things in parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The most humbling and necessary um, uh, of it all. So yes, you have your master's, you've done a ton of research, you've written a book and you have a podcast um, and you've done a Uh, You have a lot of years of practice talking to kids and families, talking to parents about how to talk to their kids about this. So 
What would you say, like basically, I think one of the things that comes up for me is this is an area in my work with kids and families where, and similar to what you sort of described, where we're all confident that, that you know, we know how to do this when our kids are littler or, and then as they soon start to get older or come to an age, um, it, it can get tricky. Like when, when the rubber meets the road and you have to actually imagine having conversations, people don't actually know what to say. So what is it about these, the concept of talking to your kids about sex that keeps them safer? Cause we know it does. Tell us about why parents should push through the discomfort to have these conversations. Um, well, I do want to clarify one thing. I love the sex talk piece of it. That's the easy, fun part. The hard part is where we're going to end up, which is talking about the sexual content. Um, that is an unfortunate part of the sex talks these days. Um, but just to answer your question, I mean, I think a lot of it is that we didn't have any information ourselves. Nobody showed us how to do this. We didn't have good examples. And, you know, we learned from our peers and media and our peers and, you know, books sometimes and videos sometimes, but mostly we learn on the job and not great, <laughs> not great. And so then when it's like, all right, I got to talk to my kid about this, we're stuck. We're stuck and a bunch of our own crap comes up. And so we're packing our own personal history and everything we know about sex, you know, the good, the bad, the in-between. And so we look at our kid and we think, oh, God, no, I cannot. Hell no. Yeah. Right. And that's really about us. Right. When you're looking at like we come to the conversation with all this stuff, but our kids, you know, the younger they are, the less information they have. And so they don't know. Right. They don't know there's anything amazing, wonderful, spectacular about sexuality. And then they also don't necessarily know that there's anything terrible, awful and problematic. Right. So. It's really, as always, in all parenting, it's our problem. <laughs> yes. Why does it keep coming back to that? I don't, I don't know, but it just seems to. Because <laughs> it, it's really, I think, you know, nobody likes to think about their kids as as sexual beings. I always say kids don't like to think about their parents as sexual beings. Parents only think about their kids as sexual beings. It's like how we want to start early, but not too early. And more and more, like with the technology piece of stuff, Right. I mean, I saw what do you know about the statistics around roughly? So I've seen statistics that say kids in the U.S. are seeing pornography, which I know we may get to at some point, like as early as nine. Like the average age that kids are being exposed to pornography on phones and things is age nine. Have you heard similar numbers around that kind of exposure? Oh, oh yeah, it's nine. For sure. It's nine. And I actually think it's younger because kids, A, parents aren't using monitoring and filtering. Yeah. And then they're handing their device advice over to the child and they think, oh, my child would never. Yeah. And um, imagine you're nine and you've heard the word, you know, penis and you've never seen one. You don't know what it is. And you live in the times of the Oracle. Of course you would Google it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> of course you would Google it. I mean, I would have been all over it. Um <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think it's seven. I think it's seven because they sell for, it's, I think it's younger or maybe the median age is seven, right. but I think it's younger because kids don't tell. So they'll see it and they'll stop watching most of the time when they find it, especially when they're under, you know, pre-puberty, it's accidental, yeah. right? They don't go out. Well, they can search for porn. You search the word, you just put the word, you know, take a moment, pause us, let's go search, put the word sex in your browser and you'll end you straight to porn. 
like no, no stopping, no stopping just straight to porn. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is younger. And I think that, you know, I mean this lovingly, we got to pull our heads out of our asses and understand that this is a fact of childhood. No child makes it to 18 without seeing some kind of sexual content, most likely porn um, online. It, it is, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, guaranteed. Yeah, and, and so, right, I think that's a really fascinating part of parenting, right? We sort of do this thing, and I, people can hear me but not see me, where we cover our face with our hands and peek out, you know, sort of willing this not to be our kid's story, but then not giving them the skills to prepare them for the reality that it may be. So and it will be at some point, they're going to be exposed to sexual content, sexual decision-making, all kinds of things, messages around their bodies, sex, sexuality. And, and so what we hope is just to be able to give parents some, some reminders about why it's important to do the work. When you notice yourself uncomfortable having a conversation, it, you know, about the idea of having a conversation, it means it's time to have that conversation in some way or another. Honestly, it's usually past time. Like most folks don't know when to start the conversations. And that's because we have all this misinformation. So there's, you know, people think when my kid asks, they're ready to know. No. When they start uh, sex ed or puberty ed at school, they're ready to know. No. Uh, when they start high school or start dating or, it, you know, it somehow comes up, then you should talk to them. And that's all wrong. Totally wrong. And the um, the age that's the best time to get started and you, ideally you should get started is really young. And I, I sorted this out from looking at the Netherlands who has the best teen sexual health outcomes in the developed world. You know, they're, when it comes to teen pregnancy, they have the lowest teen pregnancy, HIV, STI rates, very healthy kiddos at the end of, you know, when they are entering into adulthood. The United States, we are number one in teen pregnancy, HIV, STI rates. Um, so completely opposite, completely opposite. We suck like beyond anyway, we won't go down that pathway. And, you know, I just will say, and things have just gotten way worse, way worse and terrifying. So we can do that and we'll put everybody shove that in the dark place. Um, so what I took away from the Netherlands situation is a few things. First of all, they are sex positive. They see sex and sexuality as a healthy, natural, normal, good, fun part of life. We don't. We see it as the opposite. Uh, they are very open and, you know, they are, you know, people are naked together from birth until death. They don't, they don't judge around bodies and sexual, you know, that kind of thing. They have socialized medicine. Um, so it's easy for kids to get the health care they need, the sexual health care they need. And then um, they have comprehensive sexuality education in, in their school system, starting in kindergarten. Now, People hear that and there's a lot of misinformation about it. And I just want to be super clear. They are not teaching, you know, third graders about S&M. That's not happening. What they're teaching kindergartners about is bodies and boundaries and the correct language and different kinds of families and healthy relationships. And then they make their way, you know, to sexual practices later, later, later. Um, anyway, long story short. So my takeaway there was that the ideal age to start the conversation and usually with reproduction is um, about age five. 
And people think, dear Lord, that is so young. But the thing you have to remember is that it's not. To them, it's just science. It's reproduction. It's correct names for private body parts. It's conversations about safe touch. It's conversations about families and, um, you know, and all the ways babies are made and bodies. And, you know, they come to the party. They don't have what we have, right? I like to think of them as an empty vessel. And we get to fill them up with healthy information about sexuality, relationships, our values. And so they get off to this really good, this good start, right, of positive messages. And so one way I think about it is like when you explain to a five-year-old, you know, you say, this is how butter is made. And this is how babies made. It is the same to them. <laughs> it's the same. It's just a thing. It's just a fact of life. <laughs> so funny. Um, and unfortunately, for unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, honestly, like when you are talking with your little kids, you also need to talk about what well, you need to tell them, like sex feels really good. It's not for kids. It's for later in life. It's grown up stuff. I kept those conversations. But then you also need to tell them that they can see videos of naked people online and that's not for kids it's not safe for kids to look at that it can be really confusing upsetting um it's grown-up stuff you know like alcohol and well we can't say say alcohol and marijuana i'm in washington so um right so you need to warn them that this is a thing and then what to do when they see it which is to stop looking and to tell you um and that they won't be in trouble yeah yeah time and time again kids they i hear i see that and hear that a lot that kids do see it, don't tell, assume that, the, and that's what we don't want. We don't want kids assuming they're wrong, they're bad, they should be ashamed uh, of any any relationship, ideally any part of this yeah. whole journey towards sexual health, um, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, so, so even, so preparing kids even that young that they may, if they're watching videos, they may see this or what to yeah. do. So if somebody, you know, in the parking lot or on the bus, the good old bus, I mean, I don't know. I hear no, so no many stories about things that happen on school buses in terms yeah. of exposure to stuff. Yeah. Like if yeah. that happens, just say, oh, my mom will, it will kill me, you know, whatever. Or like, oh, yeah. God, you know, gross. And, and just give yeah. them a script, like literally yeah. give them a script to say, a script, yes. like, oh, yeah. I don't watch that on Tuesdays. You know what I'm mean? like? It's, <laughs> it's, it's really good. I'm going to borrow that. Please do. Where you just, depending on your kids, like give them the actual verbiage yeah. to be able yeah. to tag out of that situation. And, right. and another analogy, I'll sometimes use around seeing imagery is like uh, with slightly older kid is is driving a car like mechanics theoretically you you know but we have an a like we agree that all of the decision making and the isn't there until yeah. you're older so your yeah. buddy could drive a car on the road when you're right. 13 right. or 14 but we just know there's a lot that goes into making decisions and you know yeah. seeing everything that's happening around you and so yeah. there's a reason why we put it off for the healthiest safest roads um exactly. is kind exactly. of the way that we that we talk about i mean why so what is it, why is it, how does it help kids? Like, why does talking to them about it actually ultimately keep them safer? Like I hear parents say to me all the time, well, won't they just get curious and then go looking for it? 
well, they're already curious, so they're already going to go looking for it. So let's just start there, right? And even if they're, you know, not curious and some, you know, everybody's wired differently. Some kids are totally crazed and curious. Some kids could give a crap. And most kids are in between. But the bottom line is they need to know. Like I believe they have a fundamental human right to know about sexuality, to understand their own sexuality, healthy relationships and all that. So the reason it's protective when you talk openly uh, uh, with them about this is that you've contextualized it. So you say, this is what healthy sexuality and healthy relationships look like. This is what consent is. This is, you know, as you're growing up and you're experiencing your own body and you're getting ready to, you know, maybe be in a romantic or sexual relationship with someone, this is ideally like what this looks like. So you're preparing them so they have this good data right information your values your facts you know limits around you know the different things and then when you when they see porn they already know that that's not real sex yeah porn starts in the middle they're actors nobody's penis is that big women's bodies don't look like that nobody makes those noises when they're having sex right it straight up like people have pubic hair for christ's sake so so you, what you want to do is fill them up with good, accurate information, your values, understanding like, hey, you know, there's all sexual, you know, and like people watch porn because it feels good to them in a sexual way, but it's not healthy because it can mess up how you think about bodies and women and, you know, and men too, mostly women, um, and make you think that, you know, make you think that that's sex. And sometimes people will use it a lot and then they can't, they aren't able to have real sex, like regular sex. So I don't, um, I don't, I personally don't use the word addiction because it's more complicated than having an alcohol problem, but um, just, you know, and you wouldn't say that to your nine-year-old per se, right? You do need to use the word porn. You need to say this is called pornography. And, um, and then you do need to give them, like you said, I call them refusal skills, right? So I love that. My mom would kill me, yes. right? <laughs> I only do that on Tuesdays. You know, I'm a big fan of swearing. So like on the school bus, like I would be delighted, coach your kid to say, what the F? That's, that's, what are you doing? Yeah. Freak, right? Shaming the other child. Or, you know, one of my all-time favorites is like, I think looking at porn, porn is a solo activity, right? So you want to coach them. Yeah. And bottom line, the coaching is around step away, find a way to get, get away from it. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's entertainment. It's shared. It's somebody like, oftentimes it'll be in, in my experience, I'm like, it'll be an older cousin, an older neighbor, somebody who already has a little bit of social power over the kids involved. And so just reassuring kids to, you know, let you know if that's happening to remind that there is a time and place, but it's not now. Cause again, right? Like these images are just confusing and there are healthy ways to view pornography when you're an adult in a consensual situation. It can be a good thing uh, depending on everybody's comfort zone, but that's very different from having people, you know, finding images randomly throughout the day. And it just it no. changes. And before you've had your, your own human to human experiences. I know because teen parents and teenagers 
in my experience, also are surprised to hear what you mentioned. You, <laughs> I've been practicing long enough too that I'm like, when the internet became a thing, <laughs> like in my case, look, I remember, I distinctly remember the first couple of times I met with 16 and 17 year old. In this case, I was working with um, girls, seven, 16 and 17 year olds who came in and, and through the course of talking about what was going on in their lives, discussing the fact that their partners, their boyfriends could not enjoy sexual exchanges with them in real life like it just didn't if they had saturated their their needs and changed their templates so much that they were no, through the watching of pornography that they were no longer able to actually connect human to human um and i yeah I'm, i mean that's that's kind of a daunting but real thing that again yes. We, we, I mean, the, 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 the answers are multi-layered. It's different language at different ages, but the important parts really are, again, starting with body consent, um, safe touch and really what healthy relationships look Mm -hmm. like as kids get older. I I like the idea of preparing them specifically around the pornographic, uh, images. Are there, are there tech? Are there systems out there? Are there are there, you know, apps and screening things that you recommend that really actually are helpful for folks? Yeah, um, and just before we talk about that, uh, which is vitally important to protecting kids, you know, just a little bit more about like what they need to know by when, because there's some blanks. And I also just want to say, you know, if if you're listening and you haven't started the sex talks, like you, a get the party started. And if your kid is like eight and under, then just get books and get rolling. And there are books in the show notes that I recommend. Um, And then if they're over eight or nine, then you need to apologize to them and say, you know, I'm really sorry. We didn't start talking about this sooner. I wasn't ready. I didn't think you were ready. Um, And now I know you are. You're old enough for us to have these conversations. And again, books. And there are some videos and stuff that are, that are safe for kids too. Um, and then, um, and then just start talking because again, it's protective and, um, and you want, you have the most power and influence over them, um, until like a lot of power, like you are the most influential person when it comes to their sexual decision-making and their sexuality education. Um, and, uh, up until they're like 13, 14, and then your power, you're still influential, but peers and porn basically catch up to you. So if you're not getting in the door early and filling them up, then their peers and porn are going to get in there and you want them to have this like basis of connection with you and accurate information and all of that. So, um, so just maintaining, you know, really this mindset of preparation, it's not, it's yes, preparation for seeing the porn, but also just preparation, right? Like we weren't prepared and we didn't have to deal with half the shit that our kids have to deal with in terms of what's coming at them right in terms of info about sexuality and relationships um you know we're nothing nothing yeah nothing no and now they're bombarded and yeah right young young girls are bombarded with imagery about how to be totally appealing but not too available you know folks of all gender identities about what is to be expected and, and and that girls are bombarded with these messages about how to 
to be totally appealing and seem as if you're available, but not really be. And it, like constant mixed messaging, constant impossible beauty and body standards and, and boys and girls and folks of all gender identities are being introduced to what's normative in this cat and mouse game that is just so unhealthy. So a lot of it gets back to healthy relationships bodies, attraction, but it's relentless. I mean, relentless. The amount of information kids, the visual images kids are now getting that aren't even just, I remember when I first started learning about Photoshopping again, how long I've been doing this. I was like, oh, they cover up a blemish, you know, and now they're like shaving inches off waistlines and lengthening necks by, I mean, it's completely fake. It just makes me so crazy. And I feel for kids trying to navigate this now. And so they, they need the, the inoculation. They need need a critical eye put toward media. They need you to question like, wow, what do you think? Do you think that actually looks like that? You know, I mean, they, they need to have a voice in their heads that that is offering your way of thinking about what's not healthy about what's happening, but also what would healthy look like and, and how can they learn to check in with themselves? Because it's just so... Yeah. And then also that it can really be, I think parents get anxious having that conversation about how it can be a beautiful thing between two people and healthy for development and whatever. And I don't know, more than two in some cases, if that's what people want to do and it's consensual. So it can be a beautiful thing in development of a human. You know, that's kind of varsity level stuff. So please just start out with like your own body, like please masturbate your little mind brains off about, but then, you know, moving into other relationships, just keep it one-on-one for the beginning so you can get to know your body and your partner's body and sort all that out. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And, and like you said, we need to be, we need to give them something like some place to land and some place to start from. Right. And one of the things I highly recommend parents do is to clarify their values about sexuality. And, you know, what do you believe? Right. Like, what do you believe? And we have values about everything. Like I just said, masturbation, right. We all know what my value is. Please. Yes. Do it. Um, right. Healthy, healthy, normal, Normal to do it, normal not to do it. Something you do in private when you're younger and then it's something you can do with somebody else when you're older. It's a safer sex practice. Um, so you, when you know your values and you're talking with your, about your values with your kids, that's kind of what gives them roots. So like that voice in their head, if you've said, hey, you know what, having a threesome you know, when you're early days, it can be really confusing. Um, it can be not safe. It can be really weird because you haven't been doing this long enough to kind of understand yourself in terms of sexual relationships. So if somebody's proposing that, what do you think you could say? Right. Yeah. And getting, getting in their head and you know what? It's just crossing your fingers, right? They're going to do what they're going to do. But if you haven't done a little seed planting, yeah. They don't have any place to start from. And one of the things that parents have said to me is like, well, I want my child to develop their own values. And so I'm not going to talk about my sexual values. And usually those folks came out of really religious communities where it was don't do it, you know, all that shamey BS. Um, But sometimes it's not. And so if you think that way, I don't recommend because I'm guessing that you think your values and beliefs are right. 
I mean, I know I'm right. Like mine are right. I am the correct. I mean, I'm open to other values and I know people are as convicted as I am, but you know, we, you know, talk openly with your kid about your values. Cause at the end of the day, they are going to come up with their own. Right. Right. They're going to come up with their own. You have nothing to lose unless you are in the land of, sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, but if you're in the land of no sex before marriage and LGBTQ folks or nine parts evil or anything that is very conservative and restrictive, um, yes, you can talk to your kids about your values, but be very careful because those kids have the worst sexual health outcomes and they do not trust you, will not confide in you, will not ask you for help. They're less likely to use birth control and condoms. Um, So one of the ways to work through that is to say, you know, we believe this, we, you know, we, we believe that you should wait until marriage until you have sex. And we also know, also know that people, most people don't. So here's why we believe that. And also, you know, we're going to make sure that you have all the information you need. So if you make the decision to have sex before you get married, then you're protected and you're safe. And please let us know. You won't be in trouble. We just want to make sure you know that you, you feel good about your decision because everybody does something by the time they're 19. Like something, some kind of something major sexually. And I I think it's important too, to even just highlight that, that the, what the the research says that the folks who are the most rigid in their expectations, that abstinence, that staying away from sex is going to keep their kid healthy and eventually having a version of positive sexual relationships does not pan out. It does not play out in the research or real life experience. What it does is it creates secrecy and distance and shame and guilt and a complicated relationship with your body. And, and, you know, you feel like a disappointment to your parents and on and on and on. So if you're holding on to the, to the idea that, that too much permission is a problem. I I think that's the other thing, right? Is that parents live in this land of the pendulum swing the other way. Like never ask questions and to let your, you know, 14 year old child's partner move in. You don't know. There you can still make parenting decisions that that are protective and that encourage your child to think things through. It isn't one extreme or the other. Um, But staying in conversation, if if you'd like to think that, that, not talking about this stuff or, you know, although she's a good kid or he's a, like good kids make questionable decisions around sex all the time. And yes. so, yeah, yes. it's, it's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. And, you know, you know, I'm just, as you're talking, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, we, like you asked me, how is talking about sex keep kids safer? Well, the other thing, you know, if you're a rigid parent and very, I'm going to just say sex negative, if your child is raped or sexually abused or sexually assaulted, they will not talk to you. The chances of them telling you is very slim because if, because when folks that happens to folks, they always believe it's something they did. Always, no matter how much we say it's never your fault. There's always a part of that person that says, this is something I did. I wore the wrong clothes. I said the wrong thing. I existed as a human being. Right. Um, so they always pick that. And so if you're in this space where you're like, Hey, no, no, no. And your child's not sex educated and they don't even understand what that sexual assault is, um, they're going to be less likely to tell you. Um, 
And then the other piece of this, which I did not know this, and it was one of the things that let, that made me like step into fully, yes, I'm going to talk to Milo about sex when he's five, um, is that kids who have open relationships with their, you know, their adults, their trustworthy adults and talk about sexuality and bodies and boundaries and all that, they're safer from sexual abuse. Those kids are... Um, they're more empowered and they know that sex is not for kids. It's for later in life. When kids know the correct names for their private body parts, that's also empowering. Um, Cause those guys who are always known to the family, always, always, always known to the family. It's not stranger, stranger danger is total BS, total BS. If you were sexually abused, if you know someone that was sexually abused, they knew the fuckhead. Um, for lack of a better way of describing that person. So if your child, like your five-year-old's at the dinner table and, you know, and if your kiddo announces in front of God and everyone, you know, my vulva itches, top of their lungs in the middle of the meal, if there's a predator there, they're going to take note. That child knows the correct names for her privates. They're privates, so I'm not going to mess, less likely to mess with that kid. So it's not perfect, right? I'm like, I'm not saying, talk to a kid about sex, they won't get sexually abused. That is not a thing, but it helps them. And again, it shows that you're open and trustworthy, right? To talk about all that in the bodies. And also I think this is a whole, I would love to have you back at another point, but the other piece I want parents to hear also is get some books, read up also because it's, we got also pushed into a binary of good touch, bad touch, which is right. really confusing for kids. So yeah. I heard you specifically use safe touch. And, yes. and that is an important distinction to make when we're talking about safety in kids, because when often, unfortunately, when there is a known perpetrator, um, they're very skilled at not making it feel assaultive initially yeah. in the grooming and the and kids can't immediately identify unless they have been talked about how, you know, we're the only people touching you under your bathing suit areas and we are the only, you know, like dirt for bathing. Like you're giving them the parameters of when there's yeah. going to be um, contact so that they're, that they're prepared and can communicate to you. So it keeps kids safe in real life and it also keeps them safe. No, and again, no guarantee. I wish there was a guarantee. Okay. The statistics are still okay. really hard to imagine. They're terrible. They're, They're terrible. But this is one of the things we can do to help maybe close that gap. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, this is part of sexuality, but it's not the entirety, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, I think all this scary stuff has taken over how we think about sexuality. But if you can reframe, and again, think about we're preparing my kid and preparing my kid for this really, really, truly great part of life that we were given a whole bunch of crap you know, about. So if you can think about this in a sex positive way, if you can present it as a good part of life, a healthy part of life, a normal, natural, fun part of life, which is a little stretch, right? <laughs> which is a little stretch, sometimes a big stretch. If you can hang out there with them and work on that part of yourself, then they're going to do better. And when people do better, you know, when they feel better, they do better. You're going to do better. They're going to feel better. It's all going to be better, better, better. Yes. So, so, yeah, so having the hard conversations, different language at different ages, um, discuss pornography directly. Yeah. What are some of the, and I know I want to hear about your, your book as we're getting ready to wrap up, but what are some of the other um, strategies parents can use? Are there, are there programs parents should be familiarizing themselves with in terms of techie things? 
Yes. So the biggest thing that you can do aside from having conversations and talking openly about what they're going to see and what to do when they see it is to use monitoring and filtering. And I don't, I can't stress enough how important this is. So monitoring is watching. So you're watching where they're going and that should be in place until, you know, as long as you want until they're, if they're in their house, like by the time they're 16, 17, 18, then I don't know, it kind of becomes privacy issues, especially at 18 when they're a legal adult. If they're in your household, you should not be watching what they're up to unless there are reasons, unless there are legit reasons. So that's monitoring. Filtering is blocking search terms. And so any terms related to sex and sexuality, um, suicide, drug use, like there's all you, the, the program I recommend is called Bark. So you can, you can block these swaths of search terms. You can filter them. Um, by the time they are in sixth or seventh grade, you should, you can take all of the filtering off, but you're always monitoring. You're always monitoring and the monitoring, they'll ping you like, okay, your kid Googled, you know, blow job. And so that means you have a conversation, right? You have a conversation. They might Google shave your pubic hair and you realize, like, oh God, please no, which is me. Um, <laughs> do you have a conversation? Maybe. Right. Maybe. So here's an analogy. Um, so think about being in a car. Think about being in a car. So anytime you're in a car, you wear a seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt. So seatbelts monitoring. Okay. Seatbelt is equivalent of monitoring, monitoring. So you get your little tiny baby and you put them in the car and they're in a rear facing bucket. They always have a seatbelt. The car seat is the filtering. Right. So they always have the monitoring. They always have a seatbelt. Then eventually they're in a forward facing car seat. They get a booster seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt. They get a booster. They're sitting in the back seat on their own without any booster or car seat. Eventually they're in the front seat. Eventually they're in, they're driving. So you let you, they get less filtering, less car seat as they get older. And by the time they're driving, really, they're, they just, you're just monitoring. So think about it that way. And would you ever let your child get in the car without a car seat or if it's appropriate or a seatbelt? No. Never. <laughs> Never. And so we need to think about the internet in the same way. We shouldn't, it's the world wide web. Your kids can get any information about anything at any time show up in anybody if they're on certain apps they can show up in people's living rooms live people can just drop into their i mean like yeah the stuff yeah. that's out there is, yeah. is so this isn't perfect and you know there are all these other ways that kids are getting um people are kids kids are getting access to information but under your own roof under like under your own business every device your child can access the internet on needs to have some kind of monitoring and filtering um bark is really easy to use you install i'm very technical you install a thing on the router <laughs> And then there's an app and it's great because you can turn the internet off and on. You can control when they're on and off. You can see where they're going. It's, it's, it's a communication tool. It's not spying. You tell them it's happening. Um, I was going to ask you like about it? that. Yeah. Do no, they like it? No. They no. Do we care? No. No. <laughs> right. It's a price. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to have a phone. It's a privilege to have get online. It's not a right. I mean, in certain circumstances for school and other things and, you know, having fun with your friends and that kind of stuff and connecting and all that. Sure, that's important because it's just part of our DNA now. But 
if they have, if they're going to be having a device, then they need to be protected because they don't, they can't, you know, they're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> they're dumb. I mean, I had, there's a really funny story about a, a kid that had been, what was he doing? Sending dick pics to his girlfriend. And so the mom's like, look, she's monitoring. She's like, look, we have to use the monitoring because you're not, this is not okay. It's not safe. And so, um, she can see what's happening on his phone and a couple weeks go by and all of a sudden she starts getting, seeing his dick pics, his dick pics, his dick pics, his dick pics, because he's doing it again because he's forgotten. So, um, and he knew it was there. He just forgot. So welcome to the adolescent brain. Um, right. And I think this one, this comes up a ton in my work as, as well. I just found something. My kid doesn't know. I look, how do I handle this conversation? And I'm like, well, they need to know you're looking and they need to know that monitoring is part of having this device. And, but you know, then they won't ever tell me or they'll just get sneaky. I'm like, you, it's, it's just part of this. Are they exactly, are they going to be happy? No. If your child is always happy with you, you may not be parenting fully because part of adolescence in particular is saying no to things that the adolescent body wants to do that the adolescent brain can't navigate yet. So that on a lot of levels. Um, So that's sort of setting limits that our kids aren't going to like or wish we would be different about. But there's that that safety thing first and I know I knew we were going to run out of time and I wanted to uh, give you a chance you've got you have this exciting recent publication to help parents also yeah. tell us tell us about the book and where they yeah. can find it and what it will help them with Thank you. So it's called Sex Talks with Tweens, What to Say and How to Say It. And one of the things that parents have asked me over and over and over again, they're just like, just tell me what to say. I just want the words. So the book is probably 90, 95% just scripts. Awesome. Just scripts. So condom, here's what you say about a condom. Masturbation, here are the words to talk about masturbation. Porn, here are the words. You know, scripts for ta- you know talking to them about refusal skills, all the things, right? Everything I could come up with that tweens need to know about. And then there are tips in there too. There, there are da- absolutely tips for having the conversations, but um, the intent is for it to be a one-stop shop. So there is nothing wrong with planning your talk. So you're watching a show and you see, um, I don't know, French kissing or making out or something. And you're like, okay, I got to talk about something related to that. I don't even know if I have French kissing in there, but I'm like, so you can go find it and be like, okay, this is what I can say. And there it's, it's sex positive, but it's values. It's kind of values neutral. I mean, it's impossible to talk about sexuality, but you can put your own spin on it. And so if you have older kids, you can add more details, younger kids, you can take stuff out. But I just think that um, we have so little information as parents and adults, and we don't know what to say. That was my whole goal. Like, here you go. Here's what to say to your tween. And, it, you know, it's that perfect age, right? Yeah. Um, and most people don't start the sex talks until their kids are 9, 10, 11. So yeah. um, that's that's why I made that because I people ask me over and over and over again. And you can get it in all the usual places, Amazon and awesome. Barnes and & Nobles and Book Baby and all those different spots. Well, and and one of the things I will say that I think is a nice place, I also want to encourage parents just, I mean, I've worked with 
all kinds of different identified kids, tweens, teens. I think it's all one little plug I would put in here for a group that I work a ton with is for parents also to just notice the gender line. Don't assume heterosexuality when you're talking to your kids about sex. You can talk about bodies. You can leave it open-ended. The other person, a partner, when you are it. Because that I will also say that the outcomes, the the mental health, wellness outcomes, and sexual outcomes for for gay or trans or bi or pan kids who are shame doesn't help them function embarrassment secrecy um, does not help anybody find health so just a little plug too as we're having these these conversations about this stuff because it just be mindful if you're making a lot of assumptions yeah. uh, notice your values around that and see if you can yes yeah, for sure to for sure with kids around that so and this is a cool time and we need to be done but yeah. and this is a really cool thing because now we're having this more expansive view of sexuality and our kids are just in it on it all about it right and so our job as grown folk is to learn be open hold it lightly understand this is part of healthy typical natural sexual development and um and then to be really chill with your kids and don't make assumptions and don't make assumptions exactly what you said i just want to reiterate no but in a bunch of different ways right like this is this will challenge us all to be to be real, real world <laughs> parenting in terms of like the landscape is changing and our kids are bombarded and it's a, it's a beautiful slash time, you know, beautiful time slash here's an imperative that this is a major area of safety for kids uh, and, and growing into a healthy sense of self and sexual identity is an enormous gift to give your kid. And it's protective. It's it's both, right, in those ways. So thank you, uh, Amy, for being willing to come and share and for getting the word out there about this. I am positive that people are going to just jump on on this. So thanks for this and congratulations on your book and all the work you're doing around this. It's wonderful to be able to share. So thank you for joining me. And thank you. And thank you for trusting me with your people. Yeah. All right. We'll have to do it again. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.com drlaraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.